and that's where we're going to be today. And I just want to thank you for allowing me to share the word with you today as I submit myself to this selection process. I didn't get copied on the email you all received this week regarding what I was going to say, uh, so we'll see what we're going to say today. But I, I want to start today by saying this. I, I do have a lot of things I want to expand upon here at Victory Life, a lot of things that I would like to implement. Uh, the selection committee received four pages of vision and ideas and goals and system analysis, uh, things that if I become the leader here, I'll change or I'll expand upon. And of course, like anybody who would come into a new role, my goal would be to strengthen what needs to remain and to change what needs to be changed. I was thinking about this task this week of presenting to you uh, some ideas and what really is the question that some of you will be asking as you are thinking about a new pastor is one of you or, or one segment of you is probably thinking, I don't want things to change too much. And then there's another segment of you that's hoping that things change a ton. And that's usually the way things go. And the real question is, how much would you change things here if it was you who was uh, in the pastor position? And I like to liken it to a little game that lots of us played years ago called the Oregon Trail. Now, if, yeah, we're getting there, Ben. If you grew up in the 80s or 90s, we're getting to dysentery. If you grew up in the 80s or the 90s, you probably learned how to use a computer by playing a game called the Oregon Trail. And the Oregon Trail was simple. It went back in history, and you were sitting there on your keypad, and you were getting your family, a group from your family, from Independence, Missouri, all the way to the Oregon Valley. That was your goal. That was the vision. The vision was to get your family all the way to the Oregon Valley. Now, there was different times on the journey where you could choose your path. So there was the vision, and then there was the vision around the vision. This is where we're going, and we're going to take this direction to get there. That was the vision. But the other part of the Oregon Trail was what you did at the beginning of the game. And that was to grab your Conestoga wagon, determine how many ox you needed and how far you were going to move, how fast you were going to move. You had to uh, decide what went in that Conestoga wagon because there's only so much space. And you had to do that with limited resources. So in Oregon Trail, you didn't just need to have vision for where you were going. You had to have discernment about what you were going to bring on the journey. And when I think of the, the senior pastor task, I think of both vision and discernment being necessary. Uh, people armed with not but a vision end up being intractable, end up being annoying and obnoxious. We're going there. It doesn't matter if everybody dies along the way, but we're going to get to Oregon. And people armed with not but discernment are just so busy in the staging area putting things in the wagon and taking things out of the wagon and readjusting the wagon that they never get on the trail. So you got to have vision and discernment because if you don't have both, Jedediah dies of dysentery on the way. <laughs> Fanny gets bitten by a snake. Ethel gets scurvy. And Edwin dies of exhaustion. That's what happens without vision and discernment. You can go anywhere you want to go, but if you don't have the right things in the wagon, you're not going to get there. And you can choose a destination till you're blue in the face, but you have to have the right stuff in the wagon. 
But you can't just focus on what you're putting in the wagon or you're never going to get anywhere. And that's why when I think of the senior pastor position, I think about the Oregon Trail. You have to have vision and discernment. Now, in the secular world, we call it something different. And maybe you're already thinking this if you're in the corporate world. Don't we just call this leadership and management? Leadership is, hey, we're going here. Management is, this is how we're going to do it. This is, this is the system. This is the function. But in the church, we call it visioning and discerning. And I want to say this to you before we get into the word this morning. I don't consider myself a finished project as a visionary or a discerner. But I do believe that the Lord has given me vision for VLC's next destination. And I believe he's helped me discern some things that need to be in place here to get there. If I did not believe that, I wouldn't be standing in front of you. I wouldn't be up here today. I would go, no, the Lord hasn't given me any new direction, anything that I'd like to do here. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that. But I also believe that it would be disingenuous of me to lay out a three- to five-year plan for you today, too. I think that's something that a confirmed pastor does. Once somebody has a mandate, they can say, this is exactly where we're going. So I was talking to one of the elders this week. I said, what exactly should I say on Sunday? What am I bringing? I'm not an unknown entity. And he said, oh, you'll know what to say. I said, okay. <laughs> All right. That's wisdom from my elders, right? And uh, I thought perhaps the best thing to do would be to share with you rather than some three- to five-year plan and all the places that I'd want to go. And if you want to know more about that, you can talk to the selection committee. They have lots of information on that. I'd like to share with you some of my biblical convictions so that you can better discern whether or not I should be someone to vision and discern here. Fair enough? Why don't we look at the Bible and say, this is what I'd like to focus on in the pulpit of VLC, and that way you'll have a better concept of where I would lead and where we would go. And that's what I want to do today. And strangely enough, we're going to go to the Old Testament for that, to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. The Israelites stand on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They're waiting to go into the land that was promised to their direct uh, forefathers, if you will. It's the next generation. Moses is one of the only ones yet alive from the generation that came out of Egypt, and he is reiterating what will be necessary for the people when they go in and take the land that they're supposed to take. And these are the words Moses gives to the people, and I believe they are good words for us today, and I believe they lay out three key concepts to what I believe will be preached and needs to be preached in this church moving forward. Verse 5 and following. See, just as the Lord has charged me, I now teach you statutes and ordinances for you to observe in the land that you're about to enter and occupy. You must observe them diligently, for this will show your wisdom and discernment to all the peoples, who, when they hear of these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as this entire law that I'm setting before you today? Verse 9. But take care to watch yourselves closely, so as to neither forget the things your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. 
That was the charge. Now, this section of scripture, this Deuteronomy 4, probably all the way through chapter 8, chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, is what theologians like to call the Missio Dei of Israel, meaning the mission from God for the people of God. And Moses lays out what's incumbent upon the people of God to do, and this is where he begins. Chapter 4. And where does he begin? He says, all right, folks, you have a mission. And the mission is to represent God so well through following his law, through doing what he says, and through the presence of the Lord that the rest of the world looks and goes, wow, God is there. That's where God is. What a wise and discerning people. How near their God is to them. Whoa! What an incredible kingdom they have. Israel was to be the place where the kingdom of God was on earth. Where the effective will of God was being expanded greater and greater and greater and greater so that the nations of the world would be blessed because they would have someone to look to and say, that's who we need to be. That's who we need to be like. That's the God we need to follow. Israel had a mission from God, and it wasn't just to follow the law. Israel had a mission from God, and it was to be the place of his effective will on earth. What a privilege Israel had. God was allowing them to represent him and increase his will upon the earth. Does this sound at all familiar? What a privilege you and I have as the church, as the ones who Romans says have been grafted into Israel. We are the ones who get to increase the kingdom of God and his effective will on earth. We are the ones who get to represent God to other people. It holds true for the church today. We are the nation of God, except we are a nation without borders. We are that which affects the effective will of God on earth. We are those people who do what God has called this earth to do. This is the good news. This is the good news. That we get to cooperate with God in making his will known on earth. That's the good news. Jesus came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. What was the good news? That the kingdom was here. That people get to participate in the life of God. That they get to participate in what God is doing. Now, the kingdom can't come to its fruition until human beings have been, have been brought to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the good news that Jesus was preaching was the good news of the kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom was you can have a relationship with God and you have the opportunity to do exactly what God created you to do. Many times in scripture it's called the good news to the poor, the gospel to the poor. What was Jesus offering the poor? Was he offering them more money? Was he offering them a way out of, 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 of their lowly circumstances? Or was he offering them hope and purpose beyond that which they had in their lives to that point by saying, you know what, you may not have any money and you might have absolutely no way of acquiring more money or getting to a better financial state, but 
You are where God has you, and you have the opportunity to do exactly what God has created you to do in the place you are right now. That's good news. And the repent part, when we talk about the kingdom of God, is not so much just repentance, okay, from sin. Repent means to turn and to change one's mind. In essence, to turn from the way that you are going and to look at God and say, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? When we reduce the concept of repent to nothing more than, I'm a sinner, I'm sorry. What's the good news? What's the good news in that? Well, granted, yes, God will forgive you, but does he just want to forgive you and then just go, all right, free pass to heaven, here you go. No. He wants us to take part in his kingdom, to expand his effective will on this earth. Israel was a microcosm of who we're supposed to be. Except what did Israel do? They said, God, will do it without you. God, will do it our own way. God, your laws, your ethics, the way you want to do things are not important to us. What's important to us is everything else. The Israelites failed in their mission. Here's the cool thing about the church. The church hasn't. Well, you said last week that 90% of Americans think the church is failing. Well, that's 90% of Americans, but I don't believe the church has failed. We're still here, aren't we? Billions of people have called upon the name of the Lord, have they not? The church is still here. The kingdom of God is still expanding. And we're going to be people who are part of the kingdom of God. We're not just going to rubber stamp ourselves and say, I'm forgiven, get into heaven. We're people who repent and believe the good news. The good news is more than I'm getting to heaven. The good news is heaven can touch earth right now. Right now, in my life. Heaven can touch earth. That's the good news. I don't have to wallow in despair and purposelessness. I have meaning in this life. God has given it to me. It stands to reason if God created me that he created me with a reason. And he sent his son so that we might know that reason. That we might know that purpose. Why, do I, why am I so passionate about this? I'm passionate about this because if the church in America continues to preach, you're just a sinner, get saved. We are not preaching the full gospel. Yes, you're a sinner and you need to get saved and there's no one that can save you but Jesus. But the good news is you get to enter the kingdom of God right now. The minute you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he puts a deposit of his Holy Spirit in you and it's time to get to work. If we're supposed to be people who rule and reign with him forever, if we're supposed to be people who have work to do on the other side of eternity, it would stand to reason that that work that we do now, if we're in the kingdom of heaven now, would just expand on the other side of eternity, doesn't it? What are we going to rule and reign? I don't know. There's a huge universe out there. If he gave us dominion over the earth, it stands to reason that there's dominion for something for us to to rule and reign over in eternity, isn't there? I mean, what are we going to rule over? The angel's wings? I mean, we don't think about heaven a lot because it's so ethereal and so far out there, but it stands to reason that if the human experience is wrapped up in the idea that we have work to do, it's not going to end when eternity begins. It's just going to keep going. If the kingdom of heaven has come but has not yet come, it means that we have work to do now and we will have work to do in eternity. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm excited to see. More importantly today, I want to tell you, you are part of the kingdom of heaven right now. The kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul calls him the new Adam. The new Adam. Why? Because the old Adam and his descendants and Israel could not get it done. But Jesus was sinless, and he did. 
He was the perfect model for us. And he was the perfect sacrifice to cover for our sin, cover all of our sin. Jesus was the new Adam in that he showed us how to do life right. He showed us. Here's the unique thing about Jesus. Really unique. In fact, it's so unique that only one, one being in the universe has ever done it. He was also God. In fact, he was the exact image, the exact representation, according to Colossians, of God. He said it the same thing. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So our theology matters. Because in Jesus, we have seen how a man and a woman are supposed to live. And in Jesus, we have seen who God is. That's important. That's the center of our being. Jesus answered the three most important questions that human beings have been striving after since the beginning of time. Who is God, who am I, and what am I supposed to do? Jesus answered all of that. He was fully God and fully man. And he answered that by saying, you know what? I have come and the kingdom of heaven is here now. Why is the kingdom of heaven here now? Because I'm the only God-man around. I'm the only one who could show you how to do it right, and I'm the only one who can represent the Father perfectly to you. I am the one who through every question of the human heart is answered. I am the one through whom every question of the human heart is answered. Jesus answers every question about our existence, who God is, and what we're supposed to do. That's living in the kingdom of God, is to recognize that Jesus is not only calling us into the kingdom, Jesus is the kingdom. He is it. When we follow him, we have the opportunity to do life as he would have us to do it because we've seen the very face of God in him. Now, we know exactly what God is like, and we can do things that, the God, God, that, the God, that God wants us to do. That's the good news. That's the good news. That's the good news. The good news is Jesus. The good news is the kingdom, and that we have purpose in this life. Israel had the mission. We get the fruition. I just came up with that a second ago. That just came to me. Israel had the mission. It didn't work because they didn't have Jesus yet, did they? They were a microcosm for fallen humanity. And even though God had revealed himself, they needed a savior. We have that savior. And we can be that nation without borders. We can be people of the kingdom of God. We can be people of the good news. That's number one. We can be people of the good news. We can cooperate with God in his kingdom. Number two. We have a responsibility to be the light. Did you see all the verbs and adverbs here in Deuteronomy chapter 4 given to Israel? Observe diligently. Take care. Watch yourselves closely. Don't forget. Don't let slip. You think Moses speaking for God in this moment was trying to say, do your job. Do your job. Sometimes as Christians, we just, "Ah, God will do whatever it is he wants me to do in me, through me, however he wants to do it. I pray today, feel great. But are we observing diligently? Are we taking care? Are we watching ourselves closely? Are we not forgetting the wonders of God? I was just worshiping a few minutes ago, and I was having trouble entering in today. It was a busy week, lots going on. And all of a sudden, I thought, I I, want to worship you, Lord. And I began to rehearse all of his goodness in my life, in my mind. And all of a sudden, I could worship. What's Moses saying to the people here? Don't forget. Don't let slip. Remember what God's done. 
You'll have plenty of reason to worship God and observe his law diligently. If you'll just remember what he's done in your life. Remember the good things that he's given you. Not to come into church and go, these are all the bad things, can't wait till prayer time. <laughs> How about these are all the good things, can't wait for worship to start. Prayer time will happen when prayer time happens, but what about all the good things that God has done? We have a responsibility to be the light. And the connection here with the Israelites is simple. They were to be the light to the nations. And we, as, the, as Christians today who know Jesus Christ, are to be the light of the world. We talked about it last week. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. Doesn't that give credence to our whole idea of fully God, fully man? We, we know everything that we need to do when we look at the face of Jesus. We are people who are to, supposed to reflect our Savior. The connection here is simple. You go, well, well, I don't know, Matt. I don't see a simple connection. Moses was inviting these people to engage in the law of Moses. Right? He's saying, I want you to follow the law of Moses. Okay? And you say, so, so what does that mean for us today? We don't have to follow the law of Moses. No, we don't. We don't have to follow the law of Moses. But we do have to follow the ethical standards of God. And those don't change. They do not change. We don't have to wear our Jewish jersey. That's how I look at it. There's a lot of things that God had the Jewish people wear and do so that they would look Jewish. So people would know, oh, those are God's people. Cool. You don't have to wear the Jewish jersey, but the ethics of the law have not changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you say, that makes me have to read the Bible a little harder because which one is an ethical command and which one is just a command to make them look distinct? Right. That's why he gave you reason. That's why he gave you other Christians to go, you know what, I'm pretty sure that this was for that time and, and you don't have to look and act as if it's 1400 B.C. You're allowed to look as if it's 2014 A.D. Okay? Yes, we have to use discernment, but the ethical nature of the law hasn't changed. In fact, Jesus took the ethical nature of the law, the things that should be, and then he went, all right, take them to the next level. Take them to the next level. Do more with them. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Jesus said, we're going to take the ethical standards of God to the very next level. Jesus said, in John chapter 8, he said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We have a responsibility to remain in the word of Jesus. The Israelites had a responsibility to remain in the word of God through Moses. We have the responsibility to live in the word of God through Jesus. There's still a ton of responsibilities, and there are a ton of statues and ordinances that Jesus has laid out for us. We just don't view them as statues and ordinances the way the Jews viewed it as law. We look at the words of Jesus and go, yeah, I'd do that on a good day. Yeah, if I'm feeling it, I could definitely do a little Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. We don't treat the word of Jesus like we would treat the law. We look at the word of Jesus as, as some good ideas, and Jesus was very serious about his law, his statutes, his ordinances. We have a responsibility to be the light, and that means that we observe diligently, and we take care, and we watch ourselves closely to make sure we are the people who live the words of Jesus. We are to live the words of Jesus. One of the problems with the modern church, this isn't just ours, it's everybody's, it's we are so busy just trying to attract people to this and that. 
If we just have a beautiful enough building, if our music is good enough, if our preaching is spot on, if our choir is anointed, if our programs are good, people will come. And you know what? All those things are important because what? We represent God. Our building should be beautiful. One of the biggest shames in the history of the evangelical church is we're more interested in function than beauty. As if God doesn't like beautiful things. Go to the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Tell me God doesn't like beauty and not just functional. No one's going to walk to the Cuyahoga Valley National Park today and go, that tree, it's not very functional. Let's get rid of that. We're evangelical Christians. We don't care about beauty, you know? So I, I want to say that it's very important that our preaching is relevant. It's very, and when I say relevant, I don't mean tolerant. I said relevant. That was for like eight of you. But anyhow, <laughs> it's very important that our building looks good and we represent God well. It's very important that our music is good and anointed. But what will attract them to us according to Deuteronomy chapter 4? the wisdom and discernment of the way we live our lives and the nearness that we have to our God. How does that change from Israel to the church? I'm not sure. It doesn't. That was sarcasm. It does not change. People will be attracted to God because we have taken a personal responsibility to look like God in Jesus. And people will be attracted to us because the Spirit of God is living inside of us and the nearness of God has come through us. There has been such a trend in the last 50 years within theology, there's that fly again, within theology to disparage what we call lifestyle evangelism. You can't win anybody to Jesus because you're a good enough person. And we say things like, what will win them to Jesus is if they can just get connected to the Spirit of God, if they can just see the goodness and love of God. How? If not through you. How? We like to take our personal responsibility and go, God will do that in some ethereal way. No, you're living in the kingdom of God. God will do that through you. What did he give you the Spirit for? So you can have a nice time in church? He gave you the Spirit so that you can reflect Jesus. So you can reflect. I I get passionate. I'm sorry, but I'm telling you. He gave you the Spirit of God so you could reflect Jesus. So that people could see the goodness of God in you and they could see the nearness of God through you. That's taking responsibility to be the light. Well, I don't think I can be a spiritual person. Well, we'll try to change that. You can be a spiritual person. You have a deposit of the Holy Spirit living in you right now. We're going to wake that up. Then third, we have a responsibility to the next generations. Verse 9, make what God has done known. That's a paraphrase. Make what God has done known to your children and your children's children. Deuteronomy 4 through 6 makes it very clear that the responsibility for conveying the goodness, the love, and the spirit of the Lord does not lie primarily within the community. It lies primarily within the home. Silence. I got, I got zero amens. Maybe you're, still, maybe you're still tracking with that. The primary responsibility for conveying who God is is within the home, not within the community. That's where it's supposed to be. 
Fathers and mothers are supposed to teach their children to know the Lord. And I stand here as, as I consider myself a young man at 30, but I think this nation is paying the price for our faulty theology because we've said, get your children to church and we'll take it from there. But your children are going to value what you value. And so, Dad, if you value the beer after work, that's what your son's going to value when he gets off work. Dad, if you value just tinkering on your cars in the garage, that's what your son will value. Dad, if you value the Browns, that's what your son will value. Mothers, what you value and the way that you display your love for God in the home will either teach your girls to love the Lord or they won't. He's agreeing. She's agreeing. She's agreeing. She's like, yes, teach me the Bible. All right, so... God's word needs to be hid in our heart, and we as parents need to do that. Don't just get your kids to church so the church can teach them. You lead them in the things of the Lord. You tell them about what God has done. That's that's the call. Don't just get them to church for the youth ministry and the children's ministry. Because you know what? Statistics show that if your idea is to get them to church for the youth ministry and the children's ministry, when they're 18, they'll be gone. They'll be gone. There ain't, there, there ain't good enough youth and children's pastors for most of the, your kids if you don't teach them about the Lord. If they see a disconnect between who you are in church and who you are at home, your kids are, are toast. They're toast. The church in America, not just Victory Life, but the church in America must demand that every parent, but especially fathers, be the spiritual leaders their children need. And we don't. We don't. We don't. And men are terrified to be the spiritual head of their home. And they don't need to be terrified. It's their heritage. It's their God-given right to be the spiritual head of their home. And that doesn't mean abusing it like, God told me, so we're going to. No. God told me it's time to read the Bible together as a family. God told me it's time to pray for each other's needs together. God told me that I'm supposed to tell you about when he met me at youth camp when I was 16. And what that did in my life be the spiritual heads of the home, fathers and mothers. And you say, well, my kids are out of the house. You know what? We live an entire generation with no fathers and mothers. I think you can find somebody to father or mother. And they may be 35, but they're still looking for daddy to teach them about the things of the Lord. They're still looking for mommy to show them some nurture. So if you think that, that because I want to, if I were here, that I would want to encourage fathers and families, that that would somehow make it unpalatable for you to be here, I want to tell you that you have someone spiritually to nurture as a father or mother. Even if you are past childbearing years, or even if you are a single person, there's still the call. You know, within one mile of this building, there is a place where moms who have been on drugs where there is no father present who have been in jail because of those drugs are reunited with their children through through, uh, government means. There's an entire community living within a mile of us with no fathers. Kids who grow up with no man in their life that will ever tell them what it means to love the Lord or what it means to be a godly man. Who's supposed to change that? Well, I think what the government could do is form a program, and then they'll fund it, and then they'll... Who's supposed to change that? 
We are. We are. We are. We are to go and change that. We are to go and change that. We are to be people who take a generation without fathers and mothers and say we will step into the gap. But we will also be a church that says, men, you need to lead your homes because your wife would love it if you would. Your wife would love it if you lead spiritually. Your wife would love it if you said, let's pray together. Your wife would love it if you said, let's read the word together. Your wife would love it if you tell the children about the goodness of the Lord. You say, I don't think she would. Give it a try. Give it a try. One of the number one complaints when I'm counseling couples is, he doesn't like to pray with me. He doesn't like to read the word with me. And for some of you who have been in counseling with me, you go, are you talking about me? Well, yes, and everybody else. Okay? Everybody else. We need to be people who encourage fathers to be spiritual leaders as well as mothers. Because you know what? Mothers have a nurturing instinct, and they'll step into the gap where dad doesn't. But what if both parents make sure there isn't a gap? Isn't that cool? Isn't that the way God intended it to be? Teach about what God has done. Teach to your children and your children's children. It's a theme in Deuteronomy here. Don't neglect the next generation because you're so busy getting your own personal spiritual high. Don't come to church and and say, it's all about me. Come to church and say, I need to learn how I can affect the next generation. We are one of the only religions in the world, and I'm talking about evangelical Christianity, who don't have a vision for the next generations. Other religions who preach falseness have more of a concept of what the next generations are to be than we who have the truth preach to, to our next generations. We're behind the curve. We're behind the curve. The enemy knows how to get the next generation, but the Lord does too, and it's us stepping up to teach it to our children and our children's children, the goodness of God and who he is and what he has done and why it's worth investing your life in Jesus Christ. Where's the primary place that that needs to happen? The home. The home. And the church can be the icing on the cake for those kids because we do have some great children's and youth programs around here. But that can't be the secondary place. It must be the primary place, the home. So those are three items that if I were here, you'd probably hear a lot of preaching on. The kingdom of God, personal responsibility to be the light. We would, we would teach that with truth and grace. Maybe not diplomatically, but with truth and grace. That you're to be the light in the community around you. And three, we would preach a lot about a community that knows where their kids are going when they're 18. They'll be serving the Lord because they've seen serving the Lord modeled and taught to them by their fathers and mothers, both spiritual and natural. That's what you hear a lot of preaching about. And I hope that gives you a concept of my heart. I hope you're kind to me. On those sheets you're writing, Pastor CJ and I made our own sheets and we're coming to your workplace this week. (laughs) So be kind, we'll be evaluating you. But I hope if maybe you're new today or if you just need an encouragement today in any of those three areas, whether it be, you know what, I can live for God right now in his kingdom and do in my workplace, my home, my family, my 
neighborhood, what God's called me to do, or if, you know what, I've been shirking my responsibility, I've just been a churchgoer, and I get a spiritual high, and then I live how I want, and I don't affect anybody, or perhaps you're saying today, I don't lead spiritually in my home or in the people I have leadership and headship over. Well, maybe those are three things that we can pray about today as we close and ask that God would help us with. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're not going to succeed where Israel failed because we're any different than them. We're going to succeed where Israel failed because Jesus Christ has come. And in him we have seen the fullness of God and we have seen human beings as they were meant to be. We have seen the glory of the one and only because he has come and he has dwelt among us And Lord, I pray that as we turn our eyes and our face towards Jesus Christ, God, that we would advance the kingdom of God, that we would be the light, and that we would take back our homes for you. God, none of what I have preached today is unique or not been preached before, but it's because your vision is eternal. And these are your things. There's different ways of getting there. Different paths to take on the trail. But the destination remains the same. To connect people who need Jesus Christ to Jesus Christ. So they can serve him their whole life long. And that when they stand in the presence of Almighty God, you will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. God, I pray for anybody today who's struggling with one of these concepts that we've talked about, that they wouldn't just have a cathartic reaction to what's been preached, but instead, Lord, they'd have a practical response to what's been preached, and that your spirit would work in them to change who they are so they can better reflect Jesus Christ. We ask these things today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I saw an elder stand, so I thought he